Welcome to episode 22 of the Caught Red-Handed podcast, which is the first ever live podcast recorded at Hennecon 2014, and therefore most of the, of the intro is about my experience at Hennecon. It was my first time and one of my rare appearances at a conference. If you've never been to a henna conference and aren't sure if you're ready, believe me, you are. The only prerequisites are a passion for henna, desire to learn and grow, and a minimum of a few weeks of doing henna. Yes, you can go if you are a newbie. It's actually great for newbies. I was surprised to see that HennaCon offers so much to newbies as well as to seasonal pros like myself. I've been doing henna for 16 years and walked away from this experience with my brain and heart full of so much new stuff, most of which I'm still digesting a month later. I met many newbies who were all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, soaking up as much information as they could, henning each other and getting hennaed. The week after, I saw their work on, on various social media like Instagram, and I really noticed big leaps in quality and creativity. For me, HennaCon came at a good time for me to benefit from it. If you've listened to just one or two episodes of this podcast, you'll know that I have been on a journey to improve my skills, like learning to roll and use cones, and also tampering with my paste, especially after the mixology episode, as well as finding ways to more deeply tap into my creativity. My state of mind is very curious and receptive, so HennaCon felt like a perfect match for my sponge-like state. I absorb a lot from the classes, but also from talking to other artists, watching how they work, and answering other people's questions, which really made me think about how I work, and of course, henning and getting hennaed. Here I am back in Brooklyn one month after HennaCon, and here's what I'm thinking slash doing slash learning slash planning. Starting with the podcast, I got a surge of ideas for different kinds of podcasts and people to interview, so watch this space for these developments. I've started practicing more on my own. It helps that it's the slow season here. In my practice time, I'm working on things that I picked up at HennaCon, like Current's Shading, Nita's Fills, Rebecca's Leaves, Joey's Dots, and then just pulling them all together into my designs. From the Moroccan henna class that I co-taught with Noam, I realized that there's actually a huge interest in Moroccan henna. Before that, I was despairing that no one cared about it, and so what's the point of putting it out there? What's the point of doing anything with Moroccan henna if no one cares? So thank you all for your support, especially those of you who asked me to henny with Moroccan designs. I feel a renewed passion for Moroccan henna. Nick and Noam and I are cooking up some projects in the realm of Moroccan henna, so again, watch this space. One weird side effect of HennaCon is my attitude towards social media. Anyone who has been part of any Facebook group or really pretty much anything with a social component, they know that there are cliques and backbiting and flame wars, etc., where people say things that they would never, ever say in person. 
At Hennecon, all that crap that goes on in the comment sections just fell away. Everyone was behaving like normal, lovely, open human beings. It was a reminder that there is hope for the hu human race, something that I kind of doubt when I spend too much time on social media. I've cut back on my time on social media, going there just for inspiration and connecting with people who are in it for the art. And then when I start to feel that ickiness rising, I just log off and remind myself that it's all about the art. And usually what I do is I just go draw. It's a great cure for that icky feeling. As for this episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kim Brennan, Jessica McQueen, and Kieran Sahib on the subject of the creative process. I hope the sound issues aren't too disruptive. It was my first time recording in a live environment. After the conversation with these three awesome women slash artists, I put in a few women on the street interviews with Hennecon attendees that were recorded on my iPhone. Sound quality on these is predictably pretty terrible, though with all the background noise, maybe you'll feel like you're actually there listening in person. Let's get right to that episode now and uh, listen to my interview with Jessica, Kim, and Kieran. Enjoy. All right, so this is the Caught Red-Handed live podcast. It is live in the sense that we are doing it live um, and recording it. It is not being broadcast live. So um, you don't have to worry about anything you say going out right away. It will be edited. And um, what I want to talk to my guests about is the creative process. And I'm sure as Hanacon has been going on, we're getting so much creative stimulation and there's so much, you know, creative buzz going uh, around amongst us. And um, I want to talk to these three women about their creative process so we can take some of their lessons about how they get inspired, how they keep themselves inspired, and so that we can all leave this weekend with some tools to help us stay on this path that we started here or that we've... Uh, you know, picked up and con as a continuation of our henna lives. So the first question I want to ask my guests is, what is your creative kryptonite? What stops you in your tracks? Like in the moment or just kind of generally? <laughs> I find that even though I can, I, as an artist, I try to create regardless. It's my job. Whatever I'm doing, start creating. You have to kind of do that. But somebody that has a really, really negative energy, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't, that can, you just want to finish up and have a moving along. I find that stunts how gorgeous it's going to be. Somebody that's really open and really enjoying what I'm doing, I want to do more, I want to please them more, I want them to be happier, mm -hmm. and I find that I, it's better, it's prettier, and it's larger, the nicer, the kinder, and the sweeter they are. So do you feel like it's kind of a co-creation? almost always is a co-creation. Oh, that's cool. Uh, there really is very, I'm stimulated and entertained and amused by people. So negative and uh, like disinterested people are your kryptonite? Disinterested, I can usually deal with because I'm pretty <laughs> aggressively open Aggre and Aggressively engaging. Aggressively <laughs> engaging in your face. So very few people are going to sit very long disinterested. They might be starting to get uh, panicked yeah, but they yeah. won't be disinterested. <laughs> They're not going to be bored. So uh, it's not disinterest so much as it's negativity. Mm -hmm. And I've been very lucky that most of the time when people sit down, disinterested usually turns to interested, engaged, and usually happy. 
I yeah. don't know a lot of people leaving going, well, that just kind of sucked. So that's not really your kryptonite because you can overcome it. Superman not couldn't if they're over- negative. Negative really? people you, are very... You can't ho- turn them around. <laughs> often, but there are some people that that's their happy place is being unhappy. What is and that? And there's only so much you can do with someone that's just, uh, you know, what do they call it, a hater? Or what, just what is their negative? What does their negativity look like? Um, it's usually very closed off. It's tight. Like, is it's that real? I have a real one, or um, that's usually just a personality. Like, I have a real one, and you know, I don't need one. That's usually just to because they don't want the sale. <laughs> uh, that's usually when people do that. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't want the sale, or I don't think this is macho enough for me. Mm, mm. So those usually, so and that can usually be overcome, or if they want it to be overcome, if they're stopping and engaging enough to tell you, well, I got a real one. It usually means they're negative, and you don't want them in your tent, or it means that convince me. They w- yeah, that's they want to have that conversation. Go, I yeah, got yeah, this. Yeah. So yeah. convince me why my mm. quote unquote real tattoo isn't as good, or why I would need your right. fake tattoo yeah exactly uh, and so i say well it's not a fake tattoo it's real hannah yeah and yeah. pretty special yeah i find i struggle mostly when people don't give me any parameters an artist's choice option or do whatever you'd like i don't care it's up to you i do much better with parameters that i can mm-hmm. work within so an artist's choice op- option for me is just about the last thing i want to hear oh I really freeze up i don't know where to go i don't know their preference and style do you do you find a way around that though? I I start asking questions, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I usually explain. I I don't know if you're a rose kind of girl, if you're a geometric, and please don't allow me to do roses all up your leg and then tell me you don't like roses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think maybe that happened to me one too many times in the beginning. But I find in my life I like more parameters. I like to be able to bump up against my boxes and know where my safe zone is. Yeah. And if you can give me something to work within, I I do much better, and I feel I think I feel safer and more confident. So I can stick to something that's geometric or move all florals or yeah. work off your jewelry or the print yeah. on your dress often will help if I can look at what you're wearing. Um, but the completely open artist choice, just do what you yeah. want. Use your creative <laughs> yeah. energy and go for it. I, I panic. What about in in when you're creating on your own? Like if you're drawing designs, you're mm-hmm. just doodling, or you're drawing designs to create something, do you have a creative kryptonite in those situations? It would be the same thing, going in without a direction. Um, if I'm just sitting down to draw, it's a struggle. I need um, to snowball ideas or diagram mm-hmm. them out until I get to a point that's interesting and um, engaging for me. And it may be looking at other resources, architecturally or um, textile work, fabric prints, block prints, weaving, yeah, ceramic tiles. So a blank piece of paper and a pen or a cone is Desert is your kryptonite. And <laughs> in even in other media,s in in painting or murals, I mm-hmm. I like to have parameters better. I don't just walk yeah. in unprepped. I find I freeze up and I don't know where to go, and it, you get yeah. just really limpy um, things without much spine. Yeah. So that's really yeah. where I struggle. Yeah. And Karen. My. Kryptonite, my henna kryptonite—is this close enough? Yeah, a little bit closer. <laughs> would be negative people like Kim. Yeah. Said earlier on, uh, I find it really difficult to work with them, but they don't stop me from working. I still do my best, but it's it do- not. Yeah. Fantastic. I won't walk yeah. out of there. I had a bride there. once who said, "I'm not really into henna. I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to." And she Those are a challenge. Yeah, and she kind of flipped through the book, and she's like, eh. Yeah. And I did probably the worst bridal of my life on that day. It was so discouraging. I find them 
challenging in a good sense those kind of brides I can uh, do them and then leave them and they're like wow I want to have it done again <laughs> but negative <laughs> brides yeah ooh. yeah and what does that negativity look like in a bride dark cloud hanging over her head well what is she saying to you <laughs> she is um there are some I, I, I can understand brides get really stressed out mm. and these days brides have a lot more of a hand in their wedding preparation yeah and everything else that goes along with it so yeah they are stressed out but it's very rare that i do get a very negative bride yeah. but they can have their phone in their hand they can be uh, uh so just like disconnected from the process disconnected yeah. and are just not interested they're, they're doing everything but looking at the men being when you're trying to ask them to stay still or put their hand out properly not yeah. shake too much yeah just kind of be really bitchy. yeah and what about for you when you're just sitting you know, in the evening, having a cup of tea or something and just drawing or you want to create something. Do, do you find something standing in your way? Do you have like demons in your head ta yeah. telling you how much, how awful you are? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm projecting. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, I think we all get those. Yeah. And I'll start to draw and I look at it and I think, mm, not too short, but I'll just, what I end up doing anyway is just drawing it and then taking a picture and posting yeah, yeah, I think one thing that does stop me, that can stop me in my tracks, is um, uh, again somebody who I'm not really happy with, or mostly my ex-husband, um, <laughs> who walks through the door. <laughs> oh <God. laughs> I'm like, I want to throw this pen away. That's it. Yeah. Oh God. But, um, no. Apart from that. Yeah. I normally just soldier through. Yeah. It's all good. And Jess and Kim, do you do brides at all? Do you find I, I do. you do and, and Kim? Do you w what gets in the way of your creativity when you're doing a bride? Is there something special about that that chops my chops the process off? My brides are not especially creative, only because the creative process happened well before I show up at the door. I have a bridal consultation, and I build their design with the stuff mm. that they've loved. We've connected, mm. we've bonded, mm. we've chatted. They've pick the elements they want. I need my husband to look like this. He's going to have a beard like this. I want mm. two, a girl elephant and a boy elephant. They've already picked all of the stuff. One bride, her name was <laughs> Bubbles. So we had Bubbles all throughout her, yeah. her wedding. Anna. That's all done. So I you're prepared. Yeah. So you're already prepared creatively. Because she's I already I got the speeches. You yeah. can't have your phone. Get a phone, yeah. phone <laughs> yeah. monitor. We're going to be doing it alone. We can do it earlier before everybody shows up. This is how you're going to take care of it. All of that. That might be really good advice to, to tell people who are doing bridal gigs. Like I kind of create in the moment. I have an idea beforehand what I'm going to do. But a lot of it's just in the moment creating. And I do find that my environment affects what I'm creating. But drawing it up in advance, having a plan would be having great. Having a plan, and it's not like a super detailed drawing. It's a very, it's a hand, and I'll say, you want this element, page Like 62, where it's going to be. Uh, maybe a quick yeah. sketch, no yeah. shading. This is what the kind of fingers you want, okay. Yeah. And it looks like a hot mess, but I, it's my you, it, it makes sense to you when I show yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And so no matter what else is going on, I, heaven forbid, I actually had a bride get slapped by her mother-in-law in front of everybody, her mother. 
I would have ever been. That's a hard one to recover from. It's like, so how about them jets? And yeah. you soldier through. You got the pattern. Do you head down. Yeah. Duck fire. Do your job. Yeah. Everyone was thrilled at the end, but that was probably one of my most traumatic. Yeah. Uh, but you had your plan, and so you didn't plan, get derailed. Yeah. Through. So um, one of the things that I struggle with as an artist is getting into a rut. And um, I don't know, for me, it often happens in like Sangeet's where I just have a line of people and probably people who do festival work. I think it's more at Sangeet's where you're just like, paste this flower, paste this flower, and you vary them a little bit, but they start, you start to just feel like you're just, you know, mimeographing this design. And so, so what do you guys do to get out of those, or not what do you do to get out of it, but rather what does your rut look like? For me, it's that paisley flower death trap. I think for me, my rut is the, the kind of the go-to festival flower. It's going to be, you know, five petal, a little corn nut trim. Corn nut trim. <laughs> and a swirl. But particularly for Sangeet's, I, I think the fastest solution to solve that is often looking at their their outfits. These gals oh, are that's dressed a good idea. up to the nines. It's a party. They've got on beautiful jewelry, and often their dresses have a lot of trim yeah. and embroidery or metal work on them. And that's usually how I solve that is whoever's sitting in my lap, I'm looking at her sandals and the jewels on them or the trim at the bottom of her dress or her scarf. Yeah. And I work off of that. So each guest ends up having something slightly customized. I stay within the st standard Sangeet strip style and layout and try and alternate based on her jewelry. Yeah. Um, and you also get that praise at the end. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're pulling it off the top of your head. Yeah. How can you do this? And <laughs> the reality is, is I'm not. I'm but it doesn't, sound like it doesn't sound like a rut though. Like you may feel like it's not a big deal, but you're definitely creating in that moment, yeah. right? Because you do and you see your, your third or fourth person come through and you're, oh my gosh, I've done that flower on all the girls. I need to change it up because I've got 30 more ladies and we want to And just you get bored too. You get really bored and you're looking at the fact, I've got two more hours of this. We need to, we, I can need, I need to work on my own skill development and that's the time that yeah is seems yeah. to be most um, pertinent to do it. So if you, c I, I like to look at the trim on their outfits because they're not things I own and they're fresh to me. So I can take those little elements and roll them into a pattern and yeah. send them on their way. Yeah. And they're thrilled, and I can still control it because they're not looking at a pattern. So time is still in my control. And what's your festival rut? What does that look like? It's going to be the same, the same. Uh, you know, a little flower with a couple swirls and a boring leaf. Yeah. Um, but part of that's festival work. I need things that are efficient, fast, reliable, and look good. And what they and what time. the client wants. And what the client wants. Yeah. It's sellable. You know, a hibiscus with some really pretty doodads added that I know is going to give a great deep color because it's got a lot of thick edges. Yeah. You know, so for that, I'm mostly wanting them to have a really good sampling of henna, a really good yeah. taste yeah. test. So doesn't have to be this artistic masterpiece. Festivals are not my artistic outlet. They are generating money. income yeah. for me. And con and like outreach to the community teaching them about henna absolutely it's forward it. client building you know the better forward job client building that's <laughs> awesome the better job <laughs> i do at a festival servicing them getting them a great pretty beautiful little design and it's reliable it's, it's a reliable design it's for reliable. you reliable. and if i'm using that day to work out my design skill flaws and i'm trying to want to you yeah. know i want to emulate another artist that i found really challenging and interesting you, you know those first attempts at that can often be really poor it's not the right time for me to do that. Yeah. I've, I've got a line of people in the sun. We want them out of the sun. We want them to have a nice few moments with me. I want them to take my card and think of me at their next special occasion. Yep. And if I've given yep. them a really solid guarantee and stuck to my, my roadmap of pattern structure, I know all those things are going to happen. Yeah. 
And Karen, what's your rut? It probably, like to all of us, we're all like, wow, I wish I were in that rut. <laughs> but what does yours look like? Try and, um, try and describe that. Mine would be that when I get down to the palms, um, I kind of tend to do the same thing on each bride. Yeah. That's my honest, honest answer. But it's what the brides ask for. Because they see it in your photos yeah, and they like, like they it. They tell me to do whatever I want to do, but then when it gets to the palms... They don't really want you to what do what want you want to do. They really yeah. don't, because you probably want to do, like, you know, a, a parrot or something, or I don't yeah. know. Yeah, definitely a parrot. <laughs> I've wanted to do that for a long, long time. Yes. Um, but, no, um, yeah, that would be my rut. Yeah. All honesty. And what's the cure for that? Or do you do you I feel kind of for it. do you feel like the pressure from the bride is what keeps you in that rut? Mm, yeah. But to be honest with you, it's not something that bothers me that much. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's that good. That would be my rut, but it's not it's not really a big problem for me. Do you feel that do I you can feel get really creative on the arms. It's just a shame that Yeah. They wear bangles. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that you did it. But yeah. do you... And I get pictures. Yeah. Do you require for you that the bridal... Doing bridal henna be a creative thing for you, a creative outlet? Or do you, do you just really feel like you're servicing the bride and your, your creative desires are secondary or tertiary? Like I said, I get to fulfill all of my creative desires on the arms. Okay. And then when yeah, it gets down so to the arms... Yeah, just have. And the brides care so much about the palms. You might as well give them what they want. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I want to be able to do. I I would like to be able to do more, uh, more stuff like Nita, because mm -hmm. I love her little tiny tiny lines, and it's just it's. I know it's awful, and I know I love <laughs> negative space as well. But yeah, it does look really amazing. That very when you lacy. You open the hands. Yeah, yeah. it's just like wow. Yeah. But you know what you should do it. is just um, get photos of hers, watermark them with your name, and put those up on your site, and then your brides will ask for that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, the only thing is, is that <laughs> nobody will know. These days, brides are so savvy that they're going to know straight away yeah. whose work it is yeah. and whose it isn't. And um, yeah. a lot of my brides that I'm that I've done this year as well have said to me that we've been following you since we were little, and it's just like. Really? A, I feel old. I'm and <laughs> How old were you? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of my brides have been following me for a long time, so they know what I do. Yeah. And they book me because of that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a bit of a rut. It is. Not something that's You're a victim of I'm a victim. your success. <laughs> we should start a telethon for you. <laughs> but you're a victim of... of of your success like mm. I love doing Moroccan designs nobody asks for them so I don't put them on my website mm. and because nobody sees them nobody asks for them so it's just it's a similar thing like yeah. you put you put in the kind of work that brides are you do what the brides ask you to do and then you put those photos on your website and then they yeah. want that again mm. and it just perpetuates itself maybe endlessly it's my own fault. maybe I should change things up a little bit I'm telling you steal I'm photos it works for a lot of people no, <laughs> you're I gonna know. come to New York and what yeah I'm, go I'm gonna come and learn Moroccan style from you and okay. then I'm gonna start okay. doing that that'd be okay. a good idea yeah because I can bet you anything yeah if somebody started to do more of that yeah it would get requested I hope so yeah, yeah. 
I, I had a long chat with um, Saumia the other day, and mm. she said, why don't you do more Moroccan? And I said, well, nobody requested it. And she says, you have no photos of it on your website. Your brides never see you it. You do need to have photos. Yeah, so I think that. that's true. You have to mm. kind of have aspirational stuff mm. on your on your site. And that also helps you. I think it gets you out of your rut, mm. too, because people start asking for different stuff. Yeah. I actually direct people to my Pinterest, certain Pinterest pages so that they'll see other people's work and bring that to me mm. and then you know i can be inspired by that stuff or they'll just book the other artist <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i tell them yeah she's in the uk so I <laughs> you're stuck <laughs> with me <laughs> um but no, we, sh we should take that advice and put more pictures up of different stuff so that brides ask for it yeah yeah um and then when the three of you want to learn a new style, and I'm curious, like, what's a recent new style that you've been trying to learn? How do you learn the style, and then how do you take that style and implement it out in the real world with your voice? Because, you know, you could sit there and um, copy a particular artist's style and get it down pat, but how do you make it your own? I've been looking at Rebecca Friedner's work a lot lately, Heartfire Henna, and I she's sitting here to my left, hiding her face. <laughs> I greatly admire her work, part yeah. of her elements and her spacing. Um, and I, I don't want to copy it or emulate it. I love what she does, and I, she's doing what she does. So I don't. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> but what I can do is admire her leaves and these little finials that she uses and shapes. Yeah. Um, and I've been a little bored with my work lately, so I've really been looking at hers a lot. And I practice at home. I use my cones that are left over after every event, and I grab a printer paper or the back of an envelope or newspaper. Uh, right now, the acrylic hands have been really oh fun yeah, and encouraging yeah. for me to work on. And I usually will use up one of those leftover cones, mm -hmm. and uh, I sit on Pinterest and look at them, and, and right now she makes these beautiful little plump seedy leaves yeah. that <laughs> are luscious and divine that I make. Pleasing to the eye, we so call it. <laughs> pleasing to the eye. And I, I don't have it down yet, so that's what I've been working on this summer. Do you actually try and recreate her designs in your practice to get a feel for what she's Not doing? Not her whole design. I'm looking at the elements, oh, okay. at the pieces. And then how do you make it your own? I'll take those shapes and add them into the style that I currently use. Oh, the okay. So, so, so you're just kind of hybridizing. Yeah. Where I would That's normally cool. use my own regular boring old leaf that I'm tired of, I might pop in her sweet little juicy kissy leaves yeah. and use those and pop them in on to the edges of my mandalas. Um, you know, and slowly you find your hand adjusts to that shape mm -hmm. that you're trying to copy and mm -hmm. suddenly it becomes a little mix of the two and you've got a comfort zone that's new and fresh for you and yeah. more interesting. Yeah. So when you combine those shapes that you get comfortable with on top of your older style, it can be a little fresher and newer and you see it slowly start to diverge and become something more interesting than you were doing earlier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's another way out of that rut too. Yeah. Is to get those little those little elements and bring them in. Mm -hmm. What about Kim or Kieran? <laughs> what <j> Yeah, <laughs> Kieran just said what Jess said. What Jess said. <laughs> for word for word. <laughs> and even Rebecca, the whole Rebecca thing and everything. I mean, are you inspired by Rebecca? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, sorry, actually no, no. Not too much. I am <laughs> okay. So I have been looking at Rebecca's work. Took you down a peg. Yeah, definitely. I think your work's really bad. No. <laughs> Don't I was worry, actually taste is crap. So I was actually begging for her to do my henna outside yesterday. So yeah. 
Oh, so I you're getting her loads of things. <laughs> but um, no, I. I don't think that I look at any other artist's work and try to emulate it. If anybody thinks I do, let me know. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever. I, I'm not very good at copying other people's patterns. Uh huh. At all. The um. That pattern that I did in the book. My f- that book, Love, Love Mendy. Mendy. Yep. Love Mendy by Kiran Sahib. <laughs> now available yeah, in places Costa. where books are. Yeah. Amazon, no, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was that that kind of twirly leaf, like yeah, things like that. Yeah, um, that I I got the idea from for that. I was sitting in a pub one day, and um, so it was alcohol related, or I was very drunk. No, I wasn't <laughs> drunk, honestly. Um, <laughs> I was sober, and there was <laughs> there was something on the wallpaper that kind of had they had one leaf that was going that way. So I quickly grabbed a pencil and just drew it, and then added another one. Then added another one, and that's what the uh, the base design was for nearly everything in. I don't Love know Mendy. if you realize this. I was talking about this with somebody else during Hanukkah, mm. and I feel like that was a huge, sh- like seismic shift in Bridal Mendy. Mm. Like that when Love Mendy came out, and also when the photos you were putting out mm. came out. You know, we were all looking at the Navneet books, and that was Bridal Mendy for so long mm. and then your book just like flipped it on its head and it's just amazing how how much that changed the scene and it just came from pub I wallpaper. I didn't know <laughs> but somebody said the same thing yesterday. Um, so it's true. So yeah um, <laughs> it probably is true and but because my patterns are so simple they're so very easy to do and they're really effective. Yeah, they are. And there's nothing wrong with effective. Yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with I mean, I saw your class the other day, and I was like, yeah, of course. But it's so perfectly simple, I guess. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. There are, I mean, there are people out there who are doing my designs so much better than me. Fantastically well. They're doing really, really beautiful, clean work. Just not um, Rebecca. She's not doing it. Yeah, Rebecca's yeah. not doing my work. Yeah. It's mostly um, uh, the Asian community in the UK uh-huh. who are kind of doing yeah. it. They're, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. But yeah, that style wasn't really around. Yeah. And I, d- I didn't think about it until one of the students said it to me yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I live in a little bubble of my own. <laughs> but yeah. That's yep, nice. That's it. And what about you, Kim? New style. Is there anything that's that you're working on, that you've been working on lately, and how do you make it your own? I have a serious case of, I have a serious case of ADO shiny, so I tend to wait. What's that? ADO shiny. What's that? So it's pretty much I will go online (laughs) and I will see something Rebecca does or Kieran does, and that's like my favorite little piece of something, and then I'll do that, and then all of a sudden it's surrounded by flowers or surrounded by something else of mine. Okay, so so it's like blah blah blah. Oh look, a squirrel. Very much, oh, look, a squirrel. (laughs) And I do that with a lot of things, and there's so many fantastic influences that I often feel I don't do anything of my own. And then somebody says, oh, no, it's so different. It's so much like Kim. And I'm like, I don't know how I got there. I just (laughs) really kind of power through. Some things are structured. I know this looks good and this looks good. I want to repeat the pattern, and it adjusts, and then I have something that I really enjoy. Um, I know that your little videos are just absolutely fun. It's like... 
oh, that's so fun. And then I do that for like five times straight. Yeah. I haven't gotten <laughs> I enough of same. it until I have to move to the next yeah. thing. So you're, so you're, you're just kind of incorporating things in just like piecemeal as you work. I can see something in five seconds and go, that's just amazing. And be absolutely enraptured with it for another five seconds. Forget where I saw it, where it came from. Yeah. And a week later it pops up. And do you feel that that's your voice? Do you feel like you're, you're actually speaking in your own voice or you, or do you really feel like you're just cobbling together other people's stuff? I think I cobble it with my own voice. That sounds like a really <laughs> because I so you're reading somebody else's poetry, or no, that's not a very good analogy. Skip that. <laughs> Go ahead. You <laughs> d- you make up some analogy. I I might see one thing of somebody else's, and then the universe builds around that. It's almost like a little fantasy story. It's like you have a character in a movie. That character is great. Don't care much about the rest of the movie, but now that character is going to be in my movie. So it's like fan fiction. It's like fan fiction in my way. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'll see something and go, oh, that's great. Now I'm going to take it and pitch it apart, put that piece there. Now I'm going to rip it to shreds and take a little element of that. And by the time it's uh, sometimes it's hardly recognizable. Sometimes it's but like. But it's very yours, right I there. think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to think I don't have the attention span to stick with one pattern <laughs> and play with it. I'll start going, I'm going to copy this. And. I start, by the time I'm at the end of it, I don't know where the copying part ended up because I've gone off in my own little universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for those of you who, and Jess, you have a fine art background. You don't know about Kim and Kieran, but how do you, how do you, I want to ask about your creative process in other art forms and how it compares to the creative process in henna. Um, for me, I think it's exactly the same. You know, walking up to a blank canvas, if I'm painting without an intention or mm-hmm. a direction, is, for me, a really bad idea. I would sit in my studio for four or five hours and look at it and not mm. get anywhere. Um, so in the same way with henna, where I need to snowball shapes or trim or elements, with that, I'm using words. I often will use a diagram in words and snowball ideas and, um, and pick from there and circle one word I like and add another halo of words around them and find a topic that's interesting Mm -hmm. or inspiring to me Um, and I tend to focus on color Um, color theory is near and dear to my heart so that becomes really important to me and what I'm mostly interested in and then need an outlet to express that Um, so I'm kind of looking for those two parts is is an outlet for the color and then something interesting to talk about or discuss visually for me is there something about the fact that you do henna for money does that change the creative process for you Not compared to other arts? Henna's a creative outlet for me, but I think by and large it's a skill set for me. And I see skills as something that can be improved and made better with practice and diligence. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Um, and you don't think, I mean, I don't know if, do you make money, uh, this is kind of a crass question, but do you make money off of your other art forms? I am not right now. Oh, okay. Just busy with the product sales with the yeah. head of business and the new yeah. baby. I, I've taken a break the last two years from that, so I'm not. Um, so do you find that, that, that you're, ye- I don't know how to, th- how to say the question, but like, do you feel that the fact that you're, you're earning money from henna mm-hmm. pushes your creativity in a certain direction? Not necessarily, because I oh, still okay. want each small henna that I do, whether it's at a festival or a birthday party or a more elaborate private appointment, mm-hmm. I still want my outcome at the end to be the best that I can do. And is that just like, 
is that for your like for your own pleasure and your own like aesthetic absolutely sense? at the end of the day when you do a really crummy job at something it feels horrible yeah even in if you do get a lot of money for, in a way I it's almost worse because like i don't deserve to I get paid for this at crap. home with a girlfriend on the couch and we're watching tv or having pizza and i had on her and i completely botch it i'm really sorry you're wearing that for the week <laughs> Um, Go wash it off. But in real life where somebody has some expectations and I, I understand their excitement and anticipation for it. And if I can't deliver, it feels terrible. But it's the exact same feeling when you fob a painting and that you've spent hours on and you want to work on or you know you can do better. Yeah, it's your own expectations own about expectation. what that outcome is. In my house, outcome when I was raised, the only question we were ever asked was, did you try your best? <laughs> it didn't matter if I came home with all Ds or I had messed something up. The only question my dad asked me is, did you try your best? And if my answer was yes, that was fine. Great. We never discussed it that's again. That's great. Um, so I think that's something that I've kept tucked back in my head that did I do my best? And it doesn't have to be excellent. Yeah. But if I did the best that day, whether I was tired or sick or inspired, if that was the best I could do that day, that's yeah. fine. You want to feel like you put your put everything into it. Yeah. yeah. And what about Karen and Kim? Do you have other art forms in your lives? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm glad you thought about it. Yeah, I had to think about it. I do like to cook. I'm not trained mm -hmm. uh, in cooking, or <laughs> except by my mum. I'm not trained in in any way artistically. Uh, with cooking, do you get into ruts, and are you inspired by cooks? And no, I just experiment a lot. Oh, okay. Very random. The same way that I am with my henna. Yeah. Yeah do it <laughs> cool yeah. Kim anything well um, I've been a henna artist for many years and I've loved it and went to find that I discovered face painting so then started with face painting went to some uh, conferences Fabea being one of them mm. and then it was into body painting uh, decided that it wasn't good enough that I could do a full body painting, but I wasn't doing their makeup, so I went back to makeup school. So now I'm a makeup artist. Uh, they weren't having enough body, like when you do the body painting, I needed props, so then I'm now studying a lot of uh, prop building, and I built a six-foot foot pair of angel wings that light up. So, so yours me before ADD. I I yeah, yours me before ADD I again, in yes. everything. Yeah. Um, so painting, I airbrush. I tend not to do a lot of painting because people inspire me. I have a hard time creating on a canvas or on something unless somebody says, I need you to create this for me yeah, for X amount yeah. of dollars. <coughs> now I have a goal to please someone. If you say, here's a canvas, go nuts. It's a very nice canvas. I might use it to prop up a table. I, <laughs> I, I find that I yeah. I'm very uninspired by not people. Yep. Yeah. People make me creative. People, I, I do. Th Projects, I do purpose. And I don't know how much of it is just them being nice, but people often say to me, you guessed exactly what I want. This is what I was needing, and that looks just like my dog. Whatever it is, uh, people inspire me. I work off people. Yeah. That's when I'm at my most creative. And that's true across all of these different forms all of, of art. Yeah. Body painting. A body painting. I, I'll do a sketch and mm -hmm. a good body painter and this is why I don't consider myself a good body painter very often has a very good idea they've done a sketch they know where it's going to go I have a sketch it is not what I ended up with <laughs> <I'm still gonna laughs> it goes it went from here to something completely different over here yeah happy with it yeah. this is where I, I did yeah. a full alien 
It was supposed to be dark. She was going to go dancing at a theater the next uh, that night. It was going to be UV light. Now she's a brightly colored alien. She went from dark and evil with bat wings and horns to super cute alien with tribal and iridescent day glow. <laughs> and that went <laughs> that from the planning great. process to that evening. Yeah. Photo shoot still works, so I'm good. Cool. So I want to go, I don't know, does anybody else have anything else to say on that subject? So the other thing I want to ask you about, and this kind of ties in with what we were talking about in um, Rebecca's class today, Up Your Game, um, about creativity and self-worth. And and Jess, your comment about how you feel about what you create, um, you know, has an impact on your emotional state. Um, I'm not even sure what my question is about that, um, but I just wonder if, you know, at these moments when you're feeling crappy about yourself for whatever reason, um, you know, you screwed up a bride last night, and then you know now you have to get back up on the horse and and do it again. Is that is that really damaging? And how do you how do you get that self worth back to tap into your creativity? Sure. I think you have to have some distance from it. Um, from 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 your work. It's not. It's something you've made, but it's not you. Mm. It's a skill. It can be improved. It's an idea. It can be changed. It's an outlook. It can be modified. Um, it's not you. It's not judging what your worth as a person or what you're created from. It's judging what your hand made that day. Yeah. If you had a soda or didn't have a soda and you have a little hand tremor, if you didn't eat lunch and you're not thinking clearly, all of these things go in to what yeah. you're creating. You know, you bring your day with you and you bring yourself with you. And at the end of the day, if you can get some perspective, I like, I generally on, on nicer appointments or brides, always take just a quick cell phone picture right before I dash out. And I like to look at it at night before I go to bed. And I tear the thing apart. <laughs> Awful. I tear it apart. And if yeah. it's really bad, I might cry a little bit. But mostly it's about, I really botched this. or this Like I didn't do my best. I didn't do my best. And it's that, for me, it's the self-evaluation at the end of the day. Where did I fail in this? Yeah. Where can I improve tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and you wake up in the morning and kind of put it behind you. Go okay. I that that trim was a little close, or it was too wide, or I didn't have it balanced right, or I rushed through this edge. I wish I'd taken time. Um, you know, and the next day is a chance to do it over. The great thing yeah. about henna is it's ephemeral and it's transient and yes. it can change. Yeah. And you've got your photos to work from, but it's <coughs> not it's not existing in perpetuity forever on somebody. So you have so much freedom to change it. And you know, again, it's something you created. It's not you. So I find people yeah. have a hard time with critique because they feel it's personal. Yeah. They feel they're personally attacked. I, it's not. We're talking about a third entity here. It's not your yeah. client. It's not you. It's an outside item. Um, and we can critique it with vehemence and be really, really brutal about it. And it's it's if you can take the information in and, and protect your soft core from it, yeah. you can grow from it. Yeah, definitely. And and Quickly. most people grow from mistakes more than they do from successes anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I like to tell the group of my artists that work with me that I'm I'm not here to tell you you did great and it's perfect. That's your client's job. They're there to flatter you mm -hmm. and to be thrilled and to be really super excited that everything's perfect. And I'm here to encourage you to do better. Yeah. And that's yeah. not said in front of anybody. Those are right. private conversations. Right. But your job is to do better next time. And your client's job is to enjoy it. Those are two completely different goal sets. Yeah. Self-worth, creativity, any comments? <laughs> you asked me the question again. 
it was a very long and aimless yeah. and rambling question. I don't, actually, I want to ask the audience, does anybody have any questions for them and maybe specifically about creativity and self-worth? Is that the end of your question? Yeah. <laughs> what she has asked is how do we feel about people copying our work? And idolizing you. Yeah. <laughs> and not giving credit. That's what I heard. Is that what uh, what the focus of your question was, or is it the credit thing? Do people so? You're saying the other side of the question would also be: Is if people are doing my patterns or or your style or my style of work? Do I try and connect with them? Um, I'm very flattered, very very flattered. But one thing that really winds me up is a no credit thing badly <laughs> for our american listeners winds you up means like what makes you angry really pisses me off okay <laughs> it really pisses yeah, you off okay yeah. <laughs> because i think that <coughs> everybody works really hard um and i know i've put in 12 years kim 12 years 12 15 years. yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so you put in all that hard work and it's got nothing to do with egos it's literally just you just want a little yeah, acknowledgement. There's plenty Wha of work to go around. We what if I use one of your flowers or yeah. your leaves? That flower's not mine, really. Yeah. Yeah. So where does it end? Uh, you know, like Kim was saying yeah. that she's she incorporates all this stuff and she probably doesn't even know. It sounds like her mind is just like... It goes <laughs> a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, does she have a list of all the people, you know... That no, she nobody keeps lists. Nobody yeah. says this one's doing this and this yeah. one's doing that. Sometimes there there might be a few that stick out in your mind. Yeah. Because uh, you have such a, you know, Love Mendy was such a definitive style. And it mm. was, you know, the photos from that book were just stolen. Yeah. You know, your photos were stolen. Because I didn't and passed off them. Yeah, and they were passed off yeah. as other people's work. And yeah. so, so that, you know, that's a clear violation yeah. of copyright. Mm. But how do you feel if I, you know, just throw in one of your flowers and I don't, you know, refer back to you? I think you'd know better. <laughs> But what if I may, you know, Come I on. used your flower, but the overall design was my own, or I, I don't know, then where's that line? The line is when you see a whole design and you pick up that whole design, and then or that whole style, yeah, the whole style thing, and then you do it, and then you might add a few little things like here, add a little like leaf a little Rebecca oh leaf, yeah. and add <laughs> yeah, yeah, add, add, add very, very few things, and then mm. say, just don't give credit. <coughs> I've seen people online who do that on purpose. Yeah. 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 Not funny. No, not funny at all. At all. <laughs> Does anybody else have any questions or comments, uh, panel or in the audience? Yes, Jen. This kind of goes back to social media a little bit again. Uh, I want to know how you guys feel about the positives of um, maybe upping the bar when we can all look at each other's work and new people who are coming into the field can look at uh, the work of people who they uh, really admire and, and uh, having a higher level of expectation when we can all see the pictures of the most successful henna artists. And, and is success just about likes? <laughs> The contestant is, no, it is not. <laughs> For me, I'm incredibly excited about that and really envious about new artists. I started in 97 when the internet was new, um, and we all bumbled through together and shared resources. <laughs> For me, my henna community has always existed online. You know, 
uh, less than a hundred of us were sharing information and looking at images and we shared the little bits that we had all gleaned and learned and worked forward as a group and slogged through it and hung out in the hardware stores and tried to find tools that would work and <laughs> tried to get henna that would work and <laughs> find oh a recipe. Oh, look at these carrot bags that uh, Easter yeah. candy comes yeah, in. Easter what can we do with these? <laughs> we're using Ziploc bags and yeah. literally anything we could find to figure out what are these ladies doing in India that yeah. we don't have any reach And from. Morocco. And Morocco, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, for me, it's always existed online, and I'm envious of the, the ladies and, and few men that have come along the last few years and have got to build off that platform. I feel like I spent the core of my energy learning the basics and fighting yeah. for that. And these people get to come in, and it is laid out A to Z for them, and they get to spend all of their energy on the creative outlet, and yeah. they've got perfect cones. They've got perfect bottles to use, perfect recipes, perfect sifted henna. We did YouTube not have that. videos showing them exactly how to do it a thing. It is on a golden platter for them, yeah. and they get to take that information and go home that night and twist out an amazing new leaf shape. Yeah. They're not struggling with all of this foundation stuff, and I, I feel mm. so envious that they just to get to jump in and go forward and they have patterns blooming all across their bodies in a day or two. And yeah. we I feel like we slogged through that for years. Yeah. So I I wish I had approached it now and kind of think how amazing could I be now if I came in with all of this resource set up and I feel s let down. You were uh one of the kind of founding members, could I say? of the henna community online so you know you should be happy about that i think you should be yeah. really happy about yeah. that because i know I, kn I know like everybody else has got it easy now and you like can all go well they have their own challenges yeah you do all have your own challenges it's yeah, yeah. competition now is awful. it's insane yeah. the the number of henna artists i've forgotten your name ashley, ashley, ashley. from bradford no, no the other no <laughs> singapore sorry <laughs> there's another lady from bradford connie has she gone home? No. I <laughs> doesn't want to listen to this. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. Uh -oh. I, I was speaking to her earlier on, and uh, just yesterday, I think it was, and she was talking to me about her experience in Bradford. She's a Chinese girl. Yeah. Bradford oh my is God, that must be hard. so full of henna artists. Yeah. So full of little Kieran clones. and. That's what know. Rifat says, too. Like yeah. The, just like every other on Daisy every woman is a henna yeah. artist. Yeah. I mean, the competition there is insane. I think it's bad, you know, in but some I places in the States. There's still work for everybody, but... That's great. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, social media. I think you're awesome. <laughs> Jess, you're awesome. Social Kim media. It's awesome as yeah. well. Yeah. Social media. You lot have got it very, very easy. Oh, look, there's a squirrel. <laughs> So just to repeat what Rebecca was saying, that um, that the newbies or the people coming up now don't necessarily have it easy because there's so much information and it's almost too much. And maybe we're waiting for that time for it all to kind of coalesce into you know smaller packages of more digestible information instead of so many images, so many um, so much competition. And what was the last thing you said about living in ignorance? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you could just create without that pressure of, s of all the all those images. Yeah. Let me pass the mic back to you. Just want to get a better kind of touching on what Rebecca said. What would be you know the advice that you would give to artists right now who are being flooded and um, yeah, I, I would like to know what you what pieces of advice you would give to each of them. Like how to how to get to the core of what you're looking for out there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in your own henna process. <laughs> I think everybody just has their own journey. You've discovered a passion for something, um, and it's not just enough to have a passion in something that has a real skill level. You have to practice. You have to throw yourself into it. You have to yeah. be uh, willing to put in the hard work and be self-critical because there's a lot of places you can go to on the net or even in your own family where people will tell you that's absolutely lovely mm -hmm. and yeah your grandmother loves your work <laughs> and with all of the art the the true skill that goes into this you have to be self-critical and i think that with an art form where art is art and it's so subjective being self-critical and not taking it personally can be hard um some people tell me i'm too self-critical but i i don't think that you Maybe it's just me, but I don't think you can be. Uh, it's And we're lucky enough that we started off, well there's a lot of us that have been knowing, known each other for 12 years, been all over the world meeting each other for 12 years and have been a small community. The community has grown so much now that I feel really blessed to have known these people for so long, and I'm hoping that the new people can do the same. Networking can be so important. We discussed this at length yesterday, and I, I, having listened to a lot of girls, artists talk about this, I, I think um, finding a balance between social media images and keeping yourself protected and working on your skills, you know, taking a little break, taking an information. What do you mean keeping yourself protected? From too many images, from oh being okay. flooded, from getting lost, from getting confused and overwhelmed. So, you know, do a little research, pull the jewels out that you're really inspired by, yeah. and then shut it down, which is something yeah. Rebecca spoke a lot about this weekend. Yeah. Um, I think that keeping yourself in isolation and not looking at what your colleagues are doing is kind of dangerous. It can lead to a, a lower skill level mm -hmm. than might be suitable for what you want to be charging. Yeah. And you're out of touch with what the baseline is. Um, but you don't want so much that you can't step forward and feel confident. So a balance where you're aware of kind of the standards and expectations going on around you yes. and that you need to keep stepping it up or that you're at the top of your game and maybe need to make adjustments with your business structure and personal goals at that end and not so much information that you have frozen in fear that you can't move forward. Yeah. Karen? I have nothing to add to that. What's your social media strategy as a creative person? Are you on it a lot? Are you viewing other people's stuff? And how, to, and how long does it take before the nausea starts to set in? <laughs> I have only recently actually started to look at more work online. Um, and uh, it's normally on the, on the new groups on Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's nice to encourage people, but I, I just don't get enough time for it. In between brides and then posting my stuff online um, and looking after the family, it's... <laughs> In that order. Yeah, yeah, looking after the family <laughs> last, <laughs> obviously. Oh dear. Um, but yeah, 
trying to do all of that together, it's 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 not easy. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I I do look at people's stuff, but sometimes I don't remember whose picture it is or yeah. who's done it. Um, I met a lot of people this weekend who've told me who they are on Instagram. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm trying to remember yeah. the pictures associated no, with your name. I, I think I remember the names, not the pictures. Yeah. 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 I'm easier with the names. Um, but yeah, I don't tend to look at very many people, to be honest with you. Do you think that you're more mentally healthy as a result? As an artist, I mean, not the rest of you. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a long story. Yeah. yeah very long story. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I'm. Think you're better off enough. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. what Jess said was really interesting. Like finding that sweet spot between knowing mm. enough to know what's expected of you as a professional mm. or as an artist, but not so much that it just overwhelms you and and like crushes your spirit. Because sometimes you can see so much beautiful work that it's you just feel hopeless. I'll never get there. Or you see, you know, flame wars or, you know, there's just, so, there's a lot of toxic stuff on there that can really burn you out as an artist. beautiful work from my students, people who've spent a lot of time with me. Yeah. Um, work that's better than mine, like I said before. I'm not afraid to say it. There are artists out there whose work, who, who emulate me and their work is so much so much more beautiful than mine, I think. If you look at it for too long then it would affect you and it would have uh, you wouldn't be too happy about it because you'd keep on looking at it and you say I need to do this better with my work I need to do this I need to do that I think it's better just for me it's better to draw on my own creativity um, uh. and just do what makes me happy Amen I think that's just such a great ending to this is, you know, do what makes you happy, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I completely, completely agree. And, you know, we have so many tools available. It almost feels like we have to avail ourselves of all of them. We have to be on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and we have to contact our clients on WhatsApp and kick and, you know, everything and all these things are going. And then in the end, it's like, what am I doing? Am I happy? Just draw on your own creativity. That's probably the best thing. That's the, that's the best yeah. piece of advice I can give you. Look at other people's patterns and look at other people's, whatever other people are doing, look at it. That's fine. Only if you are going to be able to get inspiration from it. Don't look at it so that you, yeah, not copy, but don't look at yeah. it so that, yeah. 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 And to the point where you hate yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or you feel inadequate exactly. as a result yeah. of looking at it. And you don't want to become another person either. Yeah. Again, you like you can copy somebody's design, but you don't want to say, "Yeah, m I can do exactly what Rebecca does." Yeah. It's not original. <laughs> Create and keep drawing, keep taking inspiration from nature. Yeah, look at things that really yeah. get your fire going that make your heart beat faster. Yeah. And if your heart isn't beating faster when you're on Instagram scrolling through those photos yeah. and then the nausea starts to rise, then that's time to just stop yeah. and maybe take a break for take a couple a days. Because we all go through it um, and we, we will all see work that is better than ours. Like <laughs> Rebecca's. <laughs> but everybody's, I think everybody's got their own 
special little thing that they can put into the pot. Um, yeah, yeah. But the only thing I can say is whatever you do, just make sure it makes you happy. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go crazy. That'd be bad. But some of the greatest artists were crazy. <laughs> Yes. I work just enough that I can. Sorry, I work just enough so that I can pay my bills, mm -hmm. and then I spend time. Yeah. With the family, yeah. and that's what's important. I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Any other last comments about creativity and Hannah, or any questions? Tom could write an essay on it. Yeah, I know. She looks like she's about ready to pop. Yeah. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Serious. It's not permanent. We're not creating buildings. But artist has a capital A. It's very serious. It does. <laughs> and I think people <laughs> get terrified and they're afraid to push forward that they might fail. And that's fine. It's yeah. It should be fun. Yeah. Um, just take a break. Is it still fun? Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Because you've been at it like a, a year or two longer than me. And there are days when it's not fun, though. There's days when no work is fun. There's days yeah. when I want to go to the beach. There's days when I don't want to get out of bed, and that it's gonna never change. But overall, it's it's, it's still fun. Totally fun. Yeah. Because it's, you know, you're making stuff in your hands. Yeah. Yes. We're getting paid yeah, to we do are what we love, yeah. and our hands are busy, and I think that's always a fun moment. Yeah. And you get to hang out with cool people at Hanacon. Amazing Hanna -Con. people <laughs> at Hanacon. Absolutely. And and just to bring that back to Hanacon, what Jess? What do you think? what's your hope for the creativity of the henna world as a whole as a result of henna con like what how do you see that playing into the uh, growth of the henna community I, creatively I hope for shared information um starting with you know reliable recipes that everybody leave here with a solid foundation on recipes so they can get you know those guaranteed gorgeous rich stains on hands and feet it's not scary it's a paste not that's easy to draw with so you're not held back from drawing whatever you you want yeah they, they know how to adjust the consistency if it's a little bit off it's easy to do you just have to you know be brave and again not so serious if you've messed up a whole box of henna we're maybe only talking about twenty dollars mm -hmm. including shipping yeah it's not the end of the world um, it's not so precious there's lots of it those things can be changed they can be adjusted um, so I, I hope that people leave feeling comfortable enough to experiment with it with a good foundation for for safe recipes mm -hmm. and enough um, creative spirit to go home and keep practicing and look at you know the 153 people here that <laughs> all love this little pile of mud and like you said they mm -hmm. each have or I don't know if you said it or Karen said it, but each one has their own little thing yeah. and we get to see that here meeting yeah. people and talking to and them. And to take all that and know that, you know, we are all in our own worlds isolated. We're all likely the only girl on our street doing henna or in our town and we all are doing this on our own. But yeah. there's an online there's a greater community yeah. at large, but we're all doing it on our own and, and reach out. Yeah. Great. Well I think that's a good conclusion right there. So thank you, Karen Sahib of what's your business name? Just just Kieran Sahib, so just your name is you. And then Jessica McQueen of Hannah Caravan. And Kim Brennan of Hasina. Hasina Mendy and Body Art or Mardi Gras this year. Say that again? Hasina Mendy and Body Art or Mardi Gras Face Art. I had to face do Face Art, face. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, well, thank you so much. And it was a really interesting discussion. I appreciate you being a part of the podcast. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>
And now some women on the street interviews at Hennecon 2014. So I'm at Hennecon 2014 and I'm having breakfast with Rebecca. Rebecca, this is your fifth con? Um, it is my fifth con. Wow. Oh, awesome. And what makes this con different from all other cons? <laughs> I think this is the, the biggest and the bestest yet. Why? I know why it's bigger, because there are more people here, but why is it the bestest? <laughs> I think it's probably um, the biggest number and of teachers ever, and every single one of them is fantastic, and the classes are jam-packed and yeah. really exciting, Yeah. and I cannot wait to get started. So it's like a big concentration of quality. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Right. So tell me your name and where you're from. My name is Sarah Walters. I'm from Kirkland, Washington. Okay. And that's outside of Seattle? Right. Yeah. So um, we're at Hennecon 2014. So what is the class that you're most looking forward to or the class that you've enjoyed the most? Mm. If it was one that you were already looking forward to and already saw, went to it. I have two classes I'm really excited to go to tomorrow. One is yours. Uh, that you're, I, just, I <laughs> you just did want not people to know, yes, I did not pay her for this endorsement, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, it's kind of a dynamic duo thing. You're going to be co-teaching with Gnome, and so yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah, that's going to be, I think nice. that will be an awesome class. Um, and then I'm also excited to take um, Karen Sahib's uh, shading oh, class. Oh, yes, totally. That Me should too. also be yeah. That's going to so, be standing room only, I think. Of course, of course. Actually, I did take a class from her today also, mm -hmm. and that's exactly how it was, you know, there was yeah. no room oh, anywhere. It's, yeah. it's just, you know, you can learn so much here from not only the instructors, mm -hmm. but just from watching everyone work. Yeah, um, just sitting down and watching yeah. how somebody holds a cone or how exactly. they do their lines yeah. or shapes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned how to do a dot from Joey, and I it was actually quite mind-opening. Really? Yes. That's hilarious. Surprising. And Joey actually suggested we do a podcast all about drawing dots. So oh my think gosh, it, she it, thinks there's a whole podcast yeah, on that. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting just talking about them. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, enjoy your con. Thanks Thank for you. talking to me. Thanks. So, um, Ashley, can you tell me your full name and where you're from? Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm from a handful of Ashley, and I'm from Singapore. Oh, a handful of Ashley. I know you on... Um, on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Now now I'm putting like face name everything together. So I heard a rumor that you saved up money for a long time to get here. So how long have you been working to save money for this trip? For Hannah Con I've saved three years of um, my Hannah earnings. Um, yeah, so I put together, but of course I have some extra money for shopping. Yes, of course, you have to. <laughs> um, for the air tickets, for the um, Hannah Con fees, for my um, hotel fees. Yeah, three years. I've been planning this for three oh years. Oh my god. And how long have you been doing henna? I've been doing it professionally for three years as a hobby for ten. Oh wow. Very cool. And so what what did you want to get out of the con when you decided to come here? Firstly, I definitely wanted to meet all my idols, all my henna <laughs> yeah, idols. Me too. Uh, yeah, so when the list came out of who was coming, it came up one by one today. Yeah. Nita is coming. Kiran is coming. Oh my god. Too many. <laughs> yeah, I went crazy. I was so happy. Um, 
Yes, to be my idols, to learn new stuff, um, to network with mm -hmm. other artists, mm -hmm. and also to, to, to be with like-minded people, to yeah. talk about our hobby, our yeah. passion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, so what was, what was the class you most were most looking forward to? Something, okay, I really like Indian henna designs, mm -hmm. like the intricate designs and um, but I don't get to do much of that um, so what do they do in Singapore instead of India? Usually I cater to Malay brides and okay. Malay brides uh, prefer a cleaner simpler design oh, okay. they don't want too much details they don't want up to the elbows oh, okay. uh, I'm still you know making my way into the Indian market and mm. it's, it's quite hard to penetrate um, but of course if I can get my skills way up and you know? the, yeah, and have the designs that they want. Yes, yeah. like especially like figurines. Okay, mm -hmm. there was one of the class that I took yeah. and shading. I oh, I was yeah. never taught how to shade. I couldn't figure out how to shade online. So that was yeah. a very good class. Yes, I learned is. so much from that. <laughs> I didn't know that you shade like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then, um, what other classes do you have left to take that you've been looking forward to? Tomorrow, I'm taking mixology. Oh, okay, and cool. That is something very um i would love to do that because i am still learning how to do my perfect paste mm -hmm. um every day i'm using a different oil every day i'm experimenting and it is such a long journey <laughs> to get the perfect paste yes yes and yeah so i would like to see what what heather Car caravan has to teach and to learn from that very cool very cool well, enjoy the rest of your con, and uh, maybe I'll see you in Singapore someday. Yes. So, Yvette, you came to HennaCon um, as a kind of newbie. Yes. So, um, I want to know what was the, what are like the three top things that you feel you got out of HennaCon that you think will transform how you do henna? Well, the first thing I think, the most important thing was watch the experts do the hymn. Mm, yeah. How they hold the tones, you know, they're different. Everybody holds it different. <coughs> how they uh, roll the cones, mm -hmm. how they make their pace. Yeah. That was like seeing it in person. Part. Yeah. Yeah. That was the best part for me. Um, second was being able to talk to them and have that experience at festivals and what to do, like being able to, knowing that you need that booth assistant, assistant mm -hmm. that class was really helpful. Oh, cool. Um, and I guess the third thing was just, just watching everybody. It was so exciting, you know? <laughs> like, you could be doing henna on Rebecca, Rebecca mm -hmm. would be doing henna on somebody else, somebody yeah. else's stretched leg would be stretched yeah. in, doing henna on that. There was like a little chain reaction thing yep. going, yep. that was really exciting for me. Do yeah. you feel like that that feeling of being intimidated? Do you find that empowering? Inspirational. Yeah, yeah it's good. Okay. Yeah. Because Rebecca and I were talking about whether newbies would find it so intimidating that it would discourage them. Probably not determined you mm -hmm. know, to do mm -hmm. it. You know. Yeah. It was like when I took your class and, and I was trying to roll that cone and you just tell yourself, I can do it. 
you get it, mm-hmm. I can do it. Yeah. If I can it, I can do it. Yeah. So I'm gonna learn how to use the comb, put the bottle down, <laughs> yeah. practice, practice, practice. Yeah. You can still I use the bottle if you want to. There's no reason this, that you have to switch, but if you want to, you definitely can do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to one young lady. She was saying that, you know, because the experts use it, then you should really try to do what they do. You know? But I was an expert who used the bottle for 15 years. So. That's what I told her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And it's good to be able to use different tools so that, you know, if you show up at somebody's house and you have no comb rolling material, but you have a bottle, then you can, you know, still use it and make it work. Whereas in the past, I could only use a bottle, and if I forgot a bottle or something... I was screwed. Right. And if I could make a cone out of a chip bag, I couldn't have used it back then. <laughs> and what do you what was your favorite class? Um, I guess there were so many favorites. I don't know if I specifically had a favorite class, but I liked um Nita's class on the thin lines. Yeah. Samia, say your last name. Ranganathan. <laughs> Ranganathan. <laughs> and we are driving to the airport from Hennecon 2014. And I just want to know what difference you think this convention will make in your in the near future for your henna life. Like, what changes are you going to make in your henna work? Definitely feeling a lot more inspired to do henna. Yeah. Um, before henna con, I was, you know, in this kind of rut where I, I didn't really like what I was, my, my, my output wasn't, you know, I, I, I didn't feel very good about it. And just being with people who, like we were talking about earlier, when they say you can do whatever you want, they really mean do whatever you want. Yeah. And being able to just, you know, get creative and experiment and go as slow as you want because there's no pressure and there's no money involved. I think that yes, that true. that did a big thing for me to get out of my you know rut. Um, so I think from a creative perspective, I'm definitely very excited after Hanukkah. Um, but I think what's also really good now is that I met a lot of people I've only known online for years, mm-hmm. and just chatting with them and knowing that just you know there's one thing in our lives that's common and when we start talking about that you realize how similar we are in so many other ways and that just really you know it made me so happy it's like wow here's people that I can relate to in so many ways and to think that it's just henna that brought us together that's mind-blowing to me yeah and Uh, you kind of take it take it for granted online but then when you actually meet in person and you still get along that's such a treat (laughs) definitely and was there any class that you think made you think radically differently about the henna that you do or how you do what you do um so there's one class and one breakout session that I think 
you know, we're talking radical change. Like, I obviously learned a lot from pretty much every class I went to. Um, some of them were in the style that I'm already working in, like Shaisa's traditional and tiny class. That was good because I I, tr I strive for that. And then just watching her do those little motifs, that was really helpful to see, oh, okay, so this is how she'll approach that. Yeah. Um, but, but in terms of radically changing how, you know, I approach Hainab, so Rebecca is working with structured designs class, which is really good because she's able to, you know, like when you have light and dark and how you kind of assess uh, whether you should add a little more here or just leave it blank, that was good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've been, I, I tried doing that for the designs I did at Kenapon after that class and I really saw that just looking at it from a super, you know, high level bird's eye perspective, that gives you a lot of input. Kind of, you know what, sometimes we take photos and we look at it two days later and go like, oh, I should have really done that. Yeah, yeah. So just looking at it again um, from a very non-detailed perspective, that was good. I really like that. And I, I could see the difference it's making in my work. Um, the other class that I really liked was, I had a breakout session with Neb. Yes, I'm very lucky. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I also watched her work right after that breakout session. She did a beautiful design on me. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and, you know, she she moves her... It, it's not just her wrist and fingers that move. It's kind of like a long, sweeping arm motion almost. And she drew in the air without any henna, just kind of with her fingers and hands, just like, you know, tracing out the pattern almost. And I... I thought that was interesting. I've never seen anybody else do that. And I, I, I'm very much like I kind of keep my wrist in the same place and I'm just moving my fingers for a lot of my yeah. lines. So I tried doing that initially at least. Like instead of laying layout lines at the beginning of a design, just kind of tracing it out in my head. And I felt like I was a lot less likely to, you know, work myself into a corner or a box where I don't really know how to get out oh, of yeah, after really initially visualizing what the design's gonna look like in the end. So I think in terms of major takeaways that are going to radically change how I do henna and what I'm going to you know, change about my henna habits, I, I was telling somebody that henna is kind of like driving habits. You, you learn initially, you know, you, you're like kind of sticking by the book and then you develop all these like bad habits as you go along. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I call them. Maybe yeah. it's, it's the little quirks that makes us. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I definitely uh, learn it by watching both that class, Rebecca's class, and Nev work uh, that I think are going to make a pretty big difference, hopefully. Very cool. Yeah. So I'm talking to Rebecca Friedner. You probably remember her name from a past podcast. And we're on our way back from Hennecon 2014 on the San Diego freeway, highway, something like that. Um, so Rebecca, you're a very experienced henna artist, and everyone looks up to you, but who did you learn the most from during Pentacon? Mm. I, I think I learned the most from watching the newbies because I sometimes I forget to be excited about henna and I forget to be an earnest learner <laughs> and then we plateau yes. so I, I really got a lot out of watching the new people be really excited about mm -hmm do yeah yeah were there any old hands that you learned from that you learned new stuff from um well yeah I mean yes every time I watch someone work I'm learning you know I watched 
uh, or I saw the result of that beautiful mandala that Sarah did. Sarah yeah, Sarah from Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was just a really good reminder of balance and you know how little little lines can change the entire feel of a piece. She's so good at that. So yeah, I mean, I was reminded all weekend about taking care, paying attention. Samya mentioned, and I noticed this also, uh, the watching network is so beautiful because she is like, um, she's, she doesn't have her wrist glued to the table like we often tend mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. where your gestures end up being like these tiny little stunted m movements, mm -hmm. as opposed to sort of getting up off the table and using more of your body and smooths everything out. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was nice to see again. Did you attend a lot of classes? I did. Well, I didn't attend all of the classes. A lot of the ones I wanted to go to were opposite my classes, and then there were some resting times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah I, I went to, I, I definitely feel saturated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, just seeing the amount of effort each instructor puts in, the amount of work that they had to do leading up to their one hour or one and a half hour yeah. presentation yeah. is and even just the years of developing yeah. those skills yeah. and the knowledge to and get And to be there. able to sort of distill all of those years into mm -hmm. an hour's mm -hmm. presentation, which is so rich in knowledge. Yeah. And I just feel incredibly appreciative yeah. of every effort that was made this weekend. It's amazing how much knowledge there yeah, is isn't still. It? Yeah. You know, I'm still learning so much new stuff. Yep. And as a result of the classes you took and the people you watched, did you feel like the work you were doing on people this weekend changed? Um, I'm a little bit disappointed, I think, in the not in the quality of work that I was doing, but that my classes were teaching the, the work that I typically do. And so when I was working with people at at the con at the Hennecon, mm -hmm. people were asking me for that sort for of that, stuff, yeah. and it, I was like, "Oh, this is what I do all the time," yeah. and it feels a little boring to me. And everyone is perfectly happy to trade henna, but I think next time I'm going to focus and on and request of my henna recipient that I be allowed to work outside of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that's something that I took away. It's like, oh. yeah, it's so nice to watch a pro you just learn from and do what they do yeah, best. Right, I and think you do want to keep seeing that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of breaks down that whole thing of do whatever you want, but please do what you just taught yeah. me in your class. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> do what you always do, but do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so are you going to take a break from henna when you get back, or are you ready to jump right in? Oh, I'm ready to jump right in. In fact, I'm really excited about drawing for some reason. I'm really Ooh, excited. And you don't to, really draw that I much. I generally don't. I'm, I'm impatient around drawing. Yeah. And I learned about vellum. About what? Drawing on vellum, which is... What does that have to Nev do with Nev did a sketching class, and she showed us all of these different paper qualities and pens and one of the papers was vellum and I there was something about the brightness of the black marker on the vellum it, it's almost as though the ink is resting on top of the paper it's not absorbed oh that sounds very henna like exactly and so oh, and it just looks so rich and beautiful that I'm excited to play with that so mm. 
That feels good. I'm, I'm going to go get myself some that Oh, that sounds cool. And do some drawing. I'm yeah. sorry I missed that class. It sounds like it'd be really interesting. I have something I can share. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah something, like, something like that can really spark your Yeah, it was just the littlest thing. I know. Yeah. It was the littlest thing. And now I feel really excited to sketch again. And, and the problem I have with sketching is that it always appears so flat. Mm -hmm. You know, and Even I, if you're using black ink. It's, yeah, I don't mean dimensionally, but just it, visually. It doesn't yeah. jump at you yeah. the same way Henna does. Yeah, now I mostly just sketch with henna exactly, because, yeah. because of that. But yeah. sometimes it's not practical. Right. Or like, um, I, I was using a really tiny color at a recent gig, and my hand was really cramped up, so I felt like I could hold a pen, but I couldn't really squeeze a cone. Right. It just was too much. Yeah, it's a way to rest those muscles, I yeah. guess, too. Yeah. Ready? Mm -hmm. All right, so here we are. Now I get to ask Lisa Kenzie um, about her weekend as we drive to the airport. <laughs> so this was your first henna con yes. with Henna Caravan. Yes. And I'm curious to know what how what your first impression was compared to your last impression as we left the hotel this morning. I was very nervous about being overwhelmed yeah. by... Um, human contact <laughs> um, you know I live in a very busy city but um, you know I don't interact with every single person I see and I was just concerned that I would just get completely emotionally drained from it and I was I mean this and I realized it very quickly that it was not draining at all and that was very surprising to me um, when I do fairs and festivals or big parties and I do henna, I get, I get very emotionally drained. And, and there was something about the energy that was so energetically, emotionally fortifying. Mm -hmm. That was a big surprise. Yeah. I thought it would, you know, I would get something out of it, but I didn't realize that it would be so fortifying. And so when, upon leaving, you feel nourished and... Yes, nourished. Yeah, good. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel overnourished in a way. I feel like I just ate a huge Thanksgiving meal. Uh huh. So maybe now you have to sort of rest and let it settle yeah, in. Digest. Before, yeah, digest. That's the yeah, word. absolutely. Rest. Yeah. Um, and did you end up taking a lot of classes? Yeah, I didn't take as many as I originally planned. I think my. Uh, my eyes are bigger than my brain or something. <laughs> so I wish I had taken more, and I keep hearing about classes that I wish I had gone to, but I definitely needed to spend time in the classroom and then spend time in the lounge yeah. and then, you know, be prepared to go back to class yes. and then some breakout time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what helped me be nourished instead of depleted. Yeah, yeah, the balance. Yes. Yeah. And was there a, a big takeaway for you? or several little takeaways that feel like they're going to really have an effect on your work or your professional life? Or yeah, your... I, and it's actually a conversation I had with Salmia. She was auditing me. <laughs> and she asked me if I did Moroccan, and I said, no, nobody asked for it. And she says, well, you don't have photos of Moroccan in your book, uh, so how do you expect yeah. people to yeah. ask for it? And I assumed that most of my clientele don't want Moroccan. So I think I'm, I've discovered that I'm limiting myself. And and I always tell students and newbies that you have to put out the kind of work that you want to be asked to do, and I don't even do that. So that was a big takeaway. And 
was a lot of stuff I think will help me with my bridal henna that I haven't really digested yet and I think that's something I just need to take to my practice and you know the, um, the shading from Kiran and the fills from Nita and um, I think that those things are going to start informing what I practice mm -hmm. and the Moroccan class was really cool because I noticed that there's a much bigger desire to learn that it just is growing every year that more and more people want to learn it so that's inspiring me to do to work more with Nick and Noam and really get um, keep that energy going get more information out about Moroccan mm -hmm. and, uh, so that's a, that's a very exciting for me personally mm -hmm. anything else? I'm out of questions that's it? yeah I think so unless okay. you have anything else you no. want to share no that's it for the first ever live podcast in the realm of henna podcasts. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to keep this outro very short and sweet because the whole podcast is already very long. I, of course, have to thank Nushkarm for the photo, Shlomi Cohen for the music and the technical help with this particular episode. And also to all the people at HennaCon, I really, really enjoyed meeting all of you. And thank you especially to Kim Brennan, Jessica McQueen, and Kieran Sahib for being such awesome guests. Bye! Oh, look, there's a squirrel. Oh, look, a squirrel.